you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Aren't you thankful for a worship team? I've been in services where they don't exist, and I'm very thankful for a worship team. Amen? Amen. I'm also thankful for our youth. Can we give a hand to our youth tonight? Friday night, they have a wonderful get-together that they're going to be having, and they're expecting quite a few guests, so remember them in prayer this week. What an awesome opportunity and an awesome week to make new friends and to meet new people in the house of God. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm excited about... um, Uh, Easter. Amen? Resurrection Sunday. It kind of gets my mind going, and it's a lot of what I plan on bringing tonight. And before I go any further, I do want to thank the Lord for my pastor and for Sister Jordan. I'm sure they're watching, but I don't have any bigger cheerleader than her and him that I've ever had in my life, and I can't, I couldn't imagine where I would be without them, but I'm so ever thankful and grateful that God has placed us here under this anointed ministry, amen? I'm just happy to be part of the body of Christ, amen. If you would turn with me to John chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, and as you're turning there, I just want to tell you I have no idea how long I'm going to teach slash preach tonight. And the reason is because I sat in a hyphen class last week and I was ripped for being too short last time. And so I hope and pray that they regret their words a little bit. (laughs) I'm kidding. I won't go that long. But I am very mindful of the time and I'm very grateful that you all have chosen tonight to be with us. Amen. 1 John chapter 19, 1 through 7, it reads like this. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said, saith unto him, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Tonight I plan on preaching, teaching for just a few moments, scourged 
for me. Turn to your neighbor and say, scourged for me. Amen. If you wouldn't mind, help me pray that God would anoint my lips and, and have his way in this message. Lord, we thank you for what you've given us. God, I do thank you, Lord, for the word I feel and your anointing and your presence that is in this place tonight, God. I pray, Lord, you'd have your way in everything that you've given me to say. And I pray, God, that if there's anything not of you, Lord, that you would hold my tongue, God. Pray also you'd have your way in our hearts and in our minds in this season, Lord. Let this city be open to us. Lord, let us truly be harvesters, Lord, of this uh, great harvest that lies before us, God. Help us to be laborers for you, we pray in Jesus' name. The church said amen. You may be seated. Revelations chapter 13 and verse 8 reads like this, And all that dwelled upon the earth shall worship him. Those whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. There's something about this time of year. I mentioned it briefly, but it takes me back. I'm always so honored to be able to speak around holidays. And I had an opportunity, I believe a couple years ago, to speak real close to Father's Day. And, and, and it meant the world to me because it's, it's such an important time. And around Christmas, and it allows me to go deep into a subject. And I'm, I'm really a simple-minded man. I just really like to go at things from every angle possible. Is that all right? And so when I get to this time of the year, I want to know what happened. What does the Bible say? What do all the Gospels say? What does the New Testament say? How does the Old Testament prophesy to it and, and talk about that? And so tonight, I want to, if, if the Lord will allow me, to simply talk about this time of year. It was about 2,000 years ago that everybody wasn't sure what was going to happen and and, and there had been prophesied for years of this coming Messiah, but nobody had seen it. Nobody knew if this was truly the time or, or if we're going to wait another year, if it'll be another time around, or, or what's it really look like. And, and there was prophecies of how he's going to come riding into town or what city he'll be born into. And how are you from all these areas, yet you're still the same one person? And, and, and how is all this going to possibly come together in one man's lifetime? And so we found our, ourselves truly perplexed with who Jesus is. And so as we saw Sunday morning, and, and as some of you laid your coats on here, that's where I want to start tonight, is, is just to talk about the order of this week, if I can. When Jesus came riding in, the Bible says that uh, he sent his disciples ahead and, and, and told them to go and get a colt off a tree. And so they found this colt, and they, they came and brought it to Jesus, and he began to get on it. And the people knew that he was getting on it. They threw coats on it, and they allowed him to get on our coats and sit on it. And then as he began to ride into the city, the Bible says that they were laying their coats down and waving palm branches and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and, 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 and giving such praise and such worship to Jesus. It really was a, a, a welcome of a king as best the people could do it because nobody necessarily expected him, but once they found out what was happening, they were all for it. That was Sunday. 24 hours later. Anybody ever have a bad Monday? Jesus had a bad Monday. He walked into the temple wasn't the best of days, and all of a sudden he walks around, and it probably didn't take long if you knew the dimensions of a temple. It's not even as big as this room, and, and he saw tables sitting everywhere, and they were what the Bible says are money changers. 
And so this is Jesus' Monday when he finally gets to be Messiah and he's, he's being, you know, adorned and, and worshipped and, and everything that's great. And he walks in and sees his temple and he's, he begins to shout out and he said, this is a house of prayer. It's written in the word. This is supposed to be a house of prayer, yet you have turned it into a den of thieves. And he starts flipping tables. I can, I've had Mondays like that. Hello? I... <laughs> I'm an electrician by trade. I always, I feel like I always talk about it, but sometimes you just need to know it's there's some rough and tough dudes in in the trades. We're not college educated per se. You know, we just learn how to do something to the best of our ability, and hopefully it works. If it doesn't, you get shocked and you try again. And so it's in these moments where if you have a bad Monday and all of a sudden you're kicking the toolbox and you're trying to flip it over and tell them how this is not the way it's supposed to be. But I couldn't imagine Jesus walking into the one place. That mattered above every job. That mattered above the whole city. He walked into the holy place and he tipped tables because all they were trying to do was to change money. They were so uh, obsessed with the things of this world that they forgot about the house of God. And so it was in those moments where he had done that and uh, he uh, decided to call them out for what it was. It took about another 24 hours before the priest of the area decide to turn against him. And so as Monday came to a close and he slept somewhere around the city, Tuesday he wakes up and they decide to take a trip out to Bethany, which is about a mile and a half to two miles away. And as I imagine walking about three miles an hour, it might take you, I don't know, maybe an hour to get there, 45 minutes, not a long time. And I could just see him walking and, and, and everywhere he went, what, what amazes me about this is anytime he came into town, and he wanted to have dinner. Have you all ever had, like, Texas Roadhouse for a party of 15? And all of a sudden, you realize it's going to be an hour or two-hour wait. Imagine back in those days, there was no Roadhouse. There might have been, you know, Becky's Inn, and that's about it. And so you would you'd go into town, and you're saying, okay, get ready. We're, we need to eat for 15, and nobody's got food ready, or you don't know if they're prepared for you or not. And so as he sojourned, and maybe they took things with him, and, and he gets into Bethany, he gets to the Mount of Olives, and he begins to talk to his disciples. He begins to tell them of, uh, of even the end times. If you read me, uh, Matthew 24, it'll talk uh, heavily about the, the end times. And they begin to question him what was going on and what's it really look like. And so uh, as he begins to tell them, well, there'll be wars and rumors of wars, and uh, there'll be pestilence and famine and earthquakes in, in diverse places, and and all these things will happen, and, and, and in those days, and it really was deep. I mean, it really, it catches your heart when you begin to hear. He said, even the elect, uh, uh, you know, almost to the point of saying, God forbid what would happen to the mothers, to the pregnant ladies. And it was really a warning to just the world. When that time comes, you're going to know it. And in that time, you, you, you need to be aware. And he talked to them as though the disciples were going to go through it. And they did have their city crushed in 70 A.D., and most of them had died martyrs' life. But at that time, it really wasn't, they, they thought they were going to live through the end times, but we all know nowadays it wasn't quite the time. Amen? In fact, now when you look around, it seems like the time. And so back in those days, that was what Tuesday looked like. And so he was on the Mount of Olives and, and talking with them and, and, and sharing with them. And the, the Bible begins to talk about where he would go and, and rest his head uh, in, in Bethany, and he would find a place to stay, and they would go and find another house to crash in for 15 or, or more people. I just blows my mind. There's no Holiday Express. Hello? 
You don't just hit the JW Marriott and just say, okay, room for 15. They, I mean, they had their animals on the first floor. We heard about that at Christmas time. They'd heat the house because all the animals, that was just, I couldn't imagine. My, my nose is too sensitive to live back in those days. <laughs> I'll, I'll move on. I won't go. <laughs> Y'all looking at me crazy already. So I can't imagine what Tuesday must have been like. The Bible moves on as he goes into Wednesday. It's, he rests in Bethany. The, the Bible doesn't mention much about what's happened, but there's this point in Scripture where this lady begins to come, and, and she's got her hair, and she undoes her hair, and she's got this little alabaster box full of precious ointments. Y'all with me? And she walks up to Jesus, she breaks the box, and she begins to anoint his feet, and she begins to wipe them and dry them with her hair, and she begins to anoint his body, and, and even the disciples are so concerned about money that they say, what is this woman doing? She's, she's wasting precious. We could have sold that and given the money to the poor. And Jesus stops him and he says, listen, the poor you'll have with you always. You won't always have me. She's preparing my body. And so things begin to click. I can just, I, I can see it where disciples, you keep talking about destroying this temple and raising it up and and now she's preparing your body for death and all. What, what in the world? And so they have to know there's something is drawing close. And something begins to draw near. And, and so that's today. That's what it looked like from, to go from Sunday. I, if you look over your life for three days, a lot has probably happened. Today the rain happened. Thank God, no tornadoes. I don't think we heard a crack of lightning or thunder or anything else. It, it seemed to pass us. Thank you, Jesus. I, I don't want that at my house or my church to be falling apart. I'm thankful we're still in one piece. Amen? And so that's Wednesday. And then you look at Tuesday, and it's like, well, man, the weather was beautiful. And, and you look at Monday, and it was maybe cold, or you were just dealing with the, the dreariness. And, and life happens fast. And so they're halfway through this week from a place of praising Jesus to ticking off everyone in the temple and all the priests, to kind of getting out of town for a couple days, and now it's time where they're about to come back home. Now, something strange has happened in our world right now. I drive by churches, and I see this uh, reoccurring thing. Maybe I've just never noticed it before. Have you all ever heard of a Monday meal? There's a lot of churches. It's M-U-N-D-Y, and it's short for... Uh, I can't even think of the, the, the full word because it's just not part of our vocabulary, but a Monday meal, and, and, and it refers to the Last Supper. And so a lot of churches are now participating, and I'm thankful we're not in the law to, to have to deal with Passover. Amen? We don't have to go back, and I'm thankful we're not wearing shawls and, and, and sacrificing animals and all of that sort of thing. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, scourged for me. I know where I'm at. <laughs> we'll get there in a minute. But Thursday began to happen. The Bible says that they went and they were told as they were coming back from Bethany, Jesus sent a disciple again. He sent him on up ahead. He said, you're going to find a, a man walking a donkey and tell him we're coming over for dinner. Prepare Passover. We're headed to your house. Again, imagine 15 extra people were about to show up for dinner. If 15 people want to come to my house, we're going to have a picnic. It's going to be outdoors. You're not coming in. It's not ready for you. I could not imagine. And on top of it, you're preparing Passover. The lamb has to be slaughtered, the blood collected. You have to have all this sort of thing that happens and, and, and in preparation and make sure you've got just enough but not too much because you have to 
find ways to not leave it, and you have to take care of all of it. There's so much in Passover that has to be perfect. And Jesus messes up whoever's plans. What, what a great opportunity. Like, what if you got the phone call, the president's coming to your house tonight, but you better have good steak. Your grill's broke. You're praying to God you still got seasoning. You hope that IGA still got some steaks left. They've been running lean. You're not sure what you're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a pork chop night. I couldn't imagine what this man had to go through if everybody just ate less. And so they're getting together, and, and the Passover begins to happen. And so as they get together for Passover, Jesus decides it's time to stop the show. So much happens here. He busts out a vase and water, and he decides, I'm going to wash your feet. And everyone's looking at each other thinking, what are you talking about? And then Peter speaks up. Side note, I've been in a group of 11 guys. We were at a training center in Louisiana. We spent four months together, and we had our very own Peter that I didn't really realize it till I looked back. Peter was the one guy that would always speak up in the group. You never knew what was coming out of his mouth. They were very serious. They didn't joke about it. They were taking themselves very seriously. But when they said whatever they had to say, you just look at them. Are you nuts? And so Jesus is telling them, I'm going to wash your feet. And here he speaks up, not me, Lord. And then here comes a reprimand. Oh, really? Well, if I'm not washing yours, you don't have any part with me. Let me get my feet out. <laughs> like, it's real quick. You better change your ways. And so Peter had this way about him. There was a time where they were walking, and, and uh, they began to ask, you know, who are you? And, 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 and Jesus would say, well, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're Elias, and, and some say you're, you're, you're Moses, and some say this, and some say that. And so then he goes, well, who do you say I am? And Peter got it right that time. Here comes quick mouth. You know, he just comes out with it. Uh, some say, I say you're the Christ. And he goes, well, flesh and blood hadn't revealed that. You know, you've, you've done very well. That was a great answer. But this time, get your feet out. I told you what I'm going to do. And so he washes their feet. It's something so symbolic about servanthood. See, most of us love to be catered to. I love a good dinner, especially when we don't have to cook it. I love when I can go to someone's house and, you know, I'm a, I'm a sweet tea guy and a Coke guy, and I love when that stuff is just endless. I, it just makes me feel good. I'll go to a restaurant. I don't care if I just get rolls, but if you can keep that Coke, just keep coming and keep coming, and, I, man, I'm, I'm happy. But that's not his whole point of that moment. It was, I'm going to serve you. And he made a lot of points about it. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. And so whenever that day comes, it really might come down to just how much of a servant were you. He's looking for us to be servants. And so he laid down this foundation at, at dinner time to serve first. And then as we see how the Passover kept going and, and he begins to talk to him and says, Okay, tonight one of you is going to dip in the sop with me, which is probably the grossest word I've ever heard in my life. Can we just call it oil? Can we call it dressing? But he said, in the sop, somebody's going to dip with me. And when that happens, you're the one that's betrayed me. They begin to ask, is it me, Lord? Is it me? And, and he just says, no, it's not you. It's not you. You'll, you'll figure it out. We're gonna, I promise you, this is going to make sense here in a while. And so as, as dinner carries on and, and, and he breaks bread and he begins to have communion with him and he, he breaks the bread himself and he goes, I want you guys to take this. So take, this is my body. It's broken for you again. Things have got to be clicking. Something's not right about this week. We went from crazy worship, you tipping tables, us kind of getting out of town. We talked about the end of the world. Something is different about this week. Can you imagine just kind of picking up the signals? 
I work at a place where a lot of times it's, it's a company to where you're not sure if you're going to have a job the next day. You know what I mean? A lot of union places are like that where when the job's done, you're not sure if you're going to make it or if they're going to cut you. So I couldn't imagine, you know, I feel that just with the job. Could you imagine feeling that with your leader? Like, do we have a business come Monday? Are we going under? What is happening with this? And so he begins to serve them. Take, this is my body. It's broken for you. And then he, he begins to pour the wine and he says, take and eat. This is my blood. It's shed for you. To this point, I don't think he's dashed his foot on a rock. In fact, that's what Satan wanted to have happen when he fasted. He, was, he hadn't broken a bone. Nothing had happened, yet for some reason we're going to take of the, the blood and the body of Christ. And so they get through dinner, and, and, and he begins to dip the sop in, and, and, and here comes Judas. What, what if you were the guy that wasn't thinking, and all of a sudden you're stuck like, oh, no. <laughs> I would be, I, oh, my Lord, and, and he did. He left pretty quick. You know, in Scripture, it doesn't say he just hung around for dessert. Jesus looked at him and goes, whatever you're doing, do quickly. And so he takes off. And he goes, and he had already spent earlier in that day talking with the, the Sanhedrins, the, 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 the head priest, and saying, how much could I get if I turn him into you? And so they gave him the silver, and so that night he went and met up with them and, and, and dealt with them. And, and eventually they came to bring uh, the, the guards and all that to, to see Jesus and to, to nab him because he has lied, right? He's the one that said, I'm the king, I'm, I'm the Messiah, it's, it really perplexes me sometimes. When Pilate, Pontius Pilate, begins to ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus never once that I've ever read in Scripture says, yep, I'm the king. He did say, it's as you say. You said it, not me. When he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? I love Jesus. He could have been the most prideful headstrong guy in the world, and we would have been okay with it. He's God. But in every answer, such humility, it's who you say, or it's, it's, it's as you say I am. It was always humble. If you say I am, yes, I will agree. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not here to say, well, I'm the king, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of all this, and I'm here to take over your kingdom. It was never that. It was as you say. It was simply I'm giving myself to you, and yes, I am who you say I am. And I think that's so powerful to think about who Jesus was. And so as, as Judas takes off, he takes uh, the disciples and, and they head to the garden. He's going to pray. He's had a rough uh, moment. There are times all through these scriptures where it seems like Jesus is finding time alone to pray and to, to seek the face of God. Even though it's, it's very hard, I'm not trying to talk about uh, uh, that. How is God, why does Jesus pray to himself and all that? That's a very deep uh, subject that takes a lot of more scripture than I've got. And so it's in those moments where uh, he took him to the garden to pray to settle this matter within himself. And he goes into the garden, <clears throat> excuse me, and he, he takes three disciples a little bit further, Peter, James, and John. And, and, and the Bible says that he's about a stone's throw away from them Thursday night. Tomorrow night, he's just a stone's throw away, maybe 200 feet. The Bible says he knelt down to pray, and it was so intense for him that his sweat were as great drops of blood, and, and it, it was so worrisome. I've, I've been in stressful moments, but I've never been quite that stressed out where my sweat were as great drops of blood. 
And he begins to pray, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He's praying, Lord, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. My flesh is crying out a bit. I'm, I, I, this is going to hurt. This is going to be painful. And so he knew this is what I have to do. And, and we read it there at the beginning where we read in Revelations. The Bible says that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I'm trying to tell you all this and lay this out as best I can so we have an understanding. I don't just come to church to hear music and somebody preach. I don't come to feel little goosebumps and all that. You know, I don't come for the, the facade or, or any of that stuff, but I come for relationship. I'm here every service and even on Wednesday when I can get to, into a Bible study and, and go deeper and even let my mind go deeper and, okay, I'm, I'm going to write these scriptures down. I'm going I'm to take them Thursday and study them and I'm going to take Friday and I'm going to uh, ingest and find a way to make them ap- applicable and, and make it to where I can reach out to people with what God's doing in my life. So amazing to me. It was just yesterday in, in real time. Just yesterday when I had a man come up to me and tell me how he's getting past uh, being an alcoholic and, and he began to tell me about how it all started and he stops halfway through and this has happened so many times. I've, I know it's God and God only, but people will stop themselves and say, I'm not sure why I'm telling you this. I've never told this to anyone before. And it's those moments where I perk up and go, okay, I've got, there needs to be something that comes out of me that lets them know who I am. I, I need to be a, a, a conduit to show them I have access. I know where we can go. I know what we can do right now. I can see God change everything, and so I be instantly become sensitive around a guy that's blowing every puff of smoke in my face. I mean, that, I'm getting half that camel, if not the whole thing. It is intense. And as all that's happening, he's telling me how I've never told this to anybody before, but I felt like when I was young, I never meant to do this, and I wasn't going to follow this. And he just goes on and on and on. And I know God is allowing me to be used in that moment with that person. And so I become very sensitive, and, and, and I think it's amazing God can use us in that facet. That's why I come to church. That's why I even want to know about this week. This week matters. It's not just another week. I, man, there, there's times in years when I was young and I was a lot dumber and I, I thought for sure that, man, this, this week, I don't know why we, we, we celebrate so much or why is there such an emphasis on, on this, but the older I get, the more I cherish the cross. The more I read about him, the more I see how important that cross was. Scourged for me. I haven't got there yet. Y'all doing okay? I think I've preached about 20 minutes, 15 minutes, so just give me a little bit of time. I promise I won't go all night. So as he's praying in the garden, Judas had it set up with the priest and with the guards as they come that he was going to kiss the one that is Jesus. And so he goes up and walks up and Jesus begins to ask, why are you here? Why have you come? And, and he kisses him on the cheek. And in and, and, and one, uh, one of the gospels, I believe it was Matthew, where uh, the guards look at him and go, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I am. And they fell on the ground trembling. (laughs) If I was a cop, and my job was to put somebody under arrest that I knew could take me out by his very words, I don't know that I would have done the rest of my duty that day. I would have called in. Couldn't imagine these guards falling down to the ground 
and Jesus saying, okay, I'm just going to stand here until you get up. Let's go. This, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the one you're after. And so they began to, to, to bind him and take him away. And, and I, I really think this part is funny because one of the, gos- or, yeah, one of the gospels does uh, a, a disciple a, a good service. And, and when he writes it down, he says that one of the disciples took a, shore, a sword out of the sheath and sliced an ear off. And Jesus went down, picked it up, and healed it. We've read that. It's in like three of the four Gospels, I believe. It might be in all four, but I know it's in at least three of them. But one of them does a real good dude, a real good deed to this dude and just says a disciple. The other two, call him out. Simon Peter, you grab the sword and slice the guy's ear off. So he picks it up, heals him, turns, stop. <laughs> I love that. He's, you know, you're supposed to, listen, we're about to graduate. You're about to take over. This is going to be your baby. I've done everything I can to prepare you. And here we are on Thursday night, and I still have to correct you. And so he corrects him. Stop. We're not doing this. This is, I'm, I'm going. This is my destiny. This is why I came. And so he goes and has one of, I perceive to be one of the longest nights of his life. It really happens in about nine hours, all of it. As he goes and, and, and different gospels record different people he steps in front of to be judged, it's, I think I've counted up to three trials in nine hours. And all of them came back not guilty. In that day and age, there wasn't a lot of evidence. And if you were anybody, especially a Jew, you were guilty no matter what you did. It was the name of the game. It's where you lived. And so he begins to, to, to even say to Pilate, and Pilate's asking, he's like, and we read it in the, at the very beginning tonight, that whole seven verses. And, and so it gets to a point where um, uh, Pilate begins to say, okay, well, I'm going to do something to you for punishment. And then he brought him back before the crowd and said, what more do you want? And that's where they start yelling, crucify, crucify. But it's in that moment that is so very valuable and precious. And it's simply summed up in every gospel. Jesus was scourged. How many times have we been in Sunday school and we hear about the cat of nine tails? How many times have we heard about the post? We've heard about how he was whipped and we put a number to it, 40 save one, because that's how many times the Romans or the Jews would whip people. Because if you were whipped 40 times, you had to be put to death immediately. And so... We begin to concoct these things in our minds, and, and there's scriptures that back it up from a lot of different angles. But in the Gospels, I always saw the same word. He was scourged. You know what scourged means? It simply means to be beaten. You see, that was the whole point of communion, the Last Supper. He broke bread. He gave them drink, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take, drink, this is my blood, which is shed for you. But if it wasn't for that little word, it wouldn't have happened. I want to read for you real quick, Isaiah 53, 1 through 8. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of the dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there will be no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief as we hid in our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he hath borne our griefs, he hath carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We are all like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one with his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was affected, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before the shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth, openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and not from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. There are some gospels when they report this scourging that happened, it also says that as they placed this crown of thorns on his head and covered him in purple, that they began to slap him right in the face. It's amazing what Jesus had to undertake. Yet without it, the word of God would not have been true. I get so mad to think of what happened to my Messiah. I get ticked off when I think of why did you have to hang on a cross One drop of blood should have done it. A paper cut should have been good enough for my sins, but you gave all. Do you realize what your body has in you? The human body has six to eight quarts of blood. It's two gallons. When we look at shed blood, it it makes me a little woozy. I don't know about you guys. I'm not much for blood. I won't pass out. I don't don't do nothing like that. But it doesn't make me very uh, uh, happy when I see blood. In fact, I heard a story of a a remarkable doctor. He wrote an amazing book that I love to death. It's called uh, uh, Beautifully and Wonderfully Made, something to that effect. And, And as he talks about it, he says that I am... Uh, I, I stayed away from being a doctor like my parents. He was in third world countries like in India, and he would go and, and he would look, and, and, and finally he was like, I'm going to get in the trades, I'm going to become a painter, I'm going to do different things with my life. I don't want to be a doctor. I, I can't stand the sight of blood. Until he finally walked up to one person that was in the middle of surgery, and he had kind of went that way, and he had saw this little girl just laying there who had been in an accident, and, and the blood had begun to pour out of her. And so uh, as she's sitting there, you know, the tender parts of your body, like the lips and, and different things of that nature, would begin to lose color. Everything just becomes the same color of grayish. The blood had left her. And the doctors come running in in a hurried, controlled chaos. They begin to poke her in the arm and begin to add blood and transfuse it and and then he began to watch, and, and they began to slightly shake her to the point to where she would begin to get rose-colored back in a cheek. He, he describes it as she had one, one little hue, one little drop in a cheek that began to get colored because the blood came back. And, and he speaks, and he says, that's what changed it for me, because I changed my outlook on blood. I might ruin my whole message. You just deal with me, Okay. But he changed his view from blood that was shed as a dying agent to now blood that is shared because it's something that helps you live. She had lost at least a gallon of blood. 
oh man, I, I can't imagine a cross dripped with blood. I thought about going up front and getting all the props out. It doesn't quite do it justice. It's great for visual effects and all that, but it doesn't quite make you feel just absolutely as repulsed as being in a situation where you see somebody that's laying there dead. There's something about how precious his shed blood is. But the moment I get from shed to shared, I really begin to see its value and how awesome and how blessed I am that my God didn't just shed blood. He didn't just die for me, but he lived for me and he gave it so I can live for him. So that's what I look at. You know, how many times in our life when even as a youth pastor, there were many times I would stay away from the phrase to be washed in the blood of the lamb. Because that's gross. Amen. If you guys want lamb's blood over there, talk to the pastor. I'm not for it. But it's amazing what blood is when we look at it nowadays. Everything that was shed was for purpose. I'll never forget August 8th, 1993. I was 10 years old. I thought Jesus had forgot about me. Y'all ever been there? Who got the Holy Ghost before they were 10? Can you raise your hands? In my world as a child, you were the whole church. And when you hit 10, you were forever lost. And I thought you could never have change in your life. You can't get saved now. You're a sinner for life. But how grateful I am that to be washed in the blood simply meant this. It simply meant I needed enough of this that I can be submerged all at once in Jesus' name. And everything he did at Calvary was all going to be worth it. And that I could just take a step of faith and show a work of being baptized and, and, and to, to partake in this just for my sins. So that way me as a Gentile, a dog of sins, I can have a way to be grafted into that body of Christ. Those are big words. Let me break that down. Y'all aren't first time guests here or anything like that. But it's, a, it's important that we understand where our salvation comes from. Every Jew had to just follow law. They're the ones that had to do Passover. They're the ones that had to get it right. They would sacrifice a lamb. They'd do a, what they call a mercy killing. They'd wait till it's calm. And they'd just slightly take a, a, a cut at the throat. And they would collect the blood because they would make sure that they held that. The first Passover was with Moses. They, would, they did everything that Jesus, or at that point, God, Yahweh, would said because he hadn't been here in flesh yet, right? And so they said, take the blood and put it on the doorpost, just on the tops and the sides. Don't put it underneath you because we're not walking on the blood. We're not stepping over. We're not making it less, but it's going to cover us. And it was put in the form of a cross, which led us all the way to Calvary, where his blood again, once again, was shed as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That lamb that was slain for sinners. So that way you and me, Gentiles, Samaritans, half-breeds, quarter-breeds, that way we could be grafted into the body of Christ. And the Bible says that now we have this period of grace. I don't know what comes next. It talks about it very briefly in the Bible. But I'm thankful that I get to live this New Testament life and birth. 
And I'm so thankful that the blood, that he was scourged for me. That there were nails driven in his hands and in his feet. And that there was a crown placed on his head. You know the first crown Jesus got was of thorns. That hurts. That's his first, that's our welcome to Jesus. Here you go. Crown of thorns. Four inch dudes that just dig down and pierce in the head. Couldn't imagine the pain. Couldn't imagine what he went through. And so it was in that moment where he shed that blood on Calvary. And why I think this matters to us so much today and why it's so uh, perfect for this moment is because the Bible says that it was in that scourging that those stripes that were upon his back were for our healing. Now hear me, Bible study time, you ready? Prophecy and past tense. You wrote the word were in the Old Testament before it ever happened. I've looked it up. What in the world does that mean? They call it prophecy, a perfect prophecy tense. It's so perfect. It's going to come to pass to, to such perfect fruition. Everything about it is going to be dead on to the point to where we're going to, we're going to write it like it's already happened. That's why he said he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was slain 2,000 years ago, but the world was at least 4,000 years old when that happened. So he wrote it past tense, and, and when we read in Isaiah where it says that, uh, and these, the stripes are for our healing, and it, and it talks about it, it was all as though it has already happened. And I'm thankful that he knew, I'm going to have to fix some things after Adam and Eve are done. I need to change some things after so-and-so gets done living their life and, and takes us astray, because we have that human condition where we're just not perfect. And the quicker I can accept that, the more I'll be able to walk out to my job and say, listen, man, you need to come to church. I don't cuss. I'm not getting drunk. I'm not trying to get high and hide it from drug tests. This is the stuff we deal with every day. I'm not trying to do any of that stuff. And so they look at me like I'm on some pedestal. So my job isn't to come down to their level, but to let them realize we're really not different. I just don't do what you do. Some people have allergies to drugs, and so they don't do them, and they get a pass. But if I say I don't believe in them, all of a sudden I have to be ridiculed. Go figure that one out. It's like, so now, yeah, I'm allergic to all of them. Because if I do that, I go down and not up. And so I want, I, I want that to be home, not, not there. I, I want to make sure that I live my life. And so I look at that, and I look at who Jesus is in those moments, and, and, and I think it's just amazing. I want to tell you about blood for just a moment. I'm sorry if this makes you queasy. I'll never forget in health class that I would have to hear about the nerves. And they'd show that picture with the dude that would have every little nerve going to every little finger. My skin crawls. I don't sit there comfortably. It's almost, you know, it's just those moments. And we had kids passing out in health class because they'd show them different things. And we were experiencing all sorts of life and everything else. And, but those, those moments when they talk about the nervous system, I would almost just sit and just rub my fingertips because it was like that just, there's something about it that just makes my skin crawl. You know what I mean? I know, you're all phlebotomist. You're all good. You can draw blood. No big deal. But I never liked that stuff. But here's the truth of it. There are 40 trillion cells in the human body. Blood is a renewable supply of oxygen, amino acids, salts, minerals, sugars, lipids, 
cholesterol and hormones surging past our cells. They're carried on rafts of blood cells. In addition, the same pipeline uh, ferries away refuse uh, exhaust gases, worn out chemicals. Five or six quarts, all-purpose fluids suffice for the body's cells. There's 60,000 miles of blood vessels linked to every living cell. Highways that narrow down to one-lane roads to where these cells go to the farthest extremity just to make sure that you have healing in your fingertips. They say that as things narrow, that the purpose of your vessels and everything narrowing down allows those things which are in the blood, the salts, the amino acids, and the sugars, to be stripped and shredded of that blood to where now it can return ready for more. And it will bring back the refuse or, or the waste of your body, and it will just do this cycle over and over. In fact, they say the kidneys are one of the most important part because it's, it's that highway where things are flushed in and out, and, and that's why they're so essential. That's why we pray so hard when we deal with that. That's why when, when Brother Emery goes through it for years on end, we just question why, God, because that's such essential. He took care of that with his blood. I'm ready for him to take care of that in our blood. Amen? We want healing still. That's why he shed. That's why, the whole, that's why I'm here, because he shed his blood. I should be able to be healed by it. And so it was from there, the red cells rushed to the kidneys for a thorough scrubbing and then back to the lungs for a refill. They say that this express journey, even the extremities of the big toe, lasts 30 seconds. The time I took to explain that, your blood made a trip. That's gross. <laughs> but that's how, per or, or, that's how important blood is. So when I'm washed by the blood of the lamb... It means he's taking all the waste away and he's adding nutrients. That's why my fruit matters. Hello. That's why the sugars in my life matter. The salt matters. I'm to be the salt of this earth. I've got to be sweet to people. I've got to do what's right. And that's what he does with his blood is he'll allow the good parts to come to you while he takes the waste away. And so when I'm seen by my coworkers, or I'm seen by neighbors and they know there's something different or they say that common phrase, I've never told anybody this, and all of a sudden I'm a part of a conversation that they've never had with anybody. All that has transpired because now I'm hooked into him. And he has flushed me with enough blood. He's covered me enough times. And this is why it matters. I go back to a place of repentance. This is why it matters that my life is in a place of prayer, that I take the steps he takes so that way I can be flushed time and time again. So that way when it comes time where somebody else is trying to use me and I'm, I'm all of a sudden a vessel for them or I'm a, a vital asset to them, it's for that purpose. Well, I can be in working order because I've allowed him to change everything. As the music begins to come, they say for a doctor, the biggest enemy of bleeding is time. In fact, if you lose enough blood, it's required that you have a transfusion. But you'll make it if you do. They say the first time that they tried to transfuse blood was with one of the, the, uh, the popes. I forget which one it was at the time, but they say that they had tried three uh, boys that they had tried to, to hook them up and, and hook the pope up as well and tried to give the pope blood three different times, and they said it didn't work. I, don't, I think the boys might have even perished from it, and uh, not too much longer the pope did as well because they were all just full of holes and didn't know how to stop blood and, and had a bit of a mess on their hands, and and so as that happens, they, they, they decided to ask, well, you know, as a, as a, a trainee becomes a doctor, the, the doctor would ask, well, what's the biggest enemy to a doctor when the blood begins to flow? And they said, it's time. 
And he said, very good. He goes, so what's the biggest blessing? What's the biggest tool? What's the most vital thing that we can use when blood is flowing and, and all this stuff has happened? And they decided that, well, m- maybe it's some sort of uh, vice to just to clamp things off. And he said, well, that, that won't work. You, what if you can't get in there in time? And so they began to think about what, what's the best tool. And, and finally, the doctor lets the little secret out. He goes, the biggest tool that we have sometimes is our thumb. sounds really dumb but it's for the purpose to put pressure I say all this for a variety of reasons because sometimes we don't understand the simple things in life and I'm not trying to go off onto a bunch of different tangents or make a bunch of little talking points or anything like that but even in your life sometimes when when we're bleeding there's there's that moment where because time is so precious and it's of the essence and so Sometimes God will put some pressure maybe sometimes in our life and might not make sense, but he even knows how to deal with us when we're bleeding. He knew he had to shed every bit of blood. I could have went with one drop. I don't need a bucket of blood from the back of the cross. I could have went with one drop. But how thankful I am that he was willing to shed all. And so now we can be buried in it. not only can we survive in it, we can partake of it. It's no longer just a place of death, but it's a place of life. For surgeons, they look at blood because it's so essential to life, yet for Christians, we look at it and we think it's only essential for death. We're not taking communion tonight, but I'm so thankful. He took moments at dinner to talk about how important his blood was. This is why when we sing songs, we can sing so much about what can wash away my sins. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood. It's not something gross or something vile. But I'm thankful that 2,000 years ago, he was hung on a tree. Beaten and scourged for my iniquity, my transgressions. He was bruised and, and by his stripes, we are healed wasn't for this week, we'd still have nothing. Stand with me. Bishop Haywood at the time was just known as G.T. Haywood. He was a preacher in Indy. We know a lot about him. For some of you that don't know who he is, I want to share just a little bit of his life with you. He began to seek God, and and he was in a foundry. He got himself hurt. He was going to do ministry, and his wife was against it, and he got hurt in the foundry to where all he had left was ministry. Couldn't work anymore, was a little bit um, uh, disabled from whatever accident might have happened. And and so he turned everything to God. He began to preach and teach, and it was just down in Indianapolis that he began to get his whole congregation converted, and and he, he began to see the importance of Jesus' name, baptism, and to be washed in the blood. So he took his church down to the river, Eagle Creek. Our pastor knows the exact location. I, I hope one day we'll drive by, he stops, and we just have a moment. How cool. That was the first time east of the Mississippi that anybody had been baptized in Jesus' name. 
and it happened less than an hour from us. He worked his way up here and he touched churches in Lebanon or different areas and, and he'd been all around and Brother Haywood was just a, a man that knew how to grow churches and they say that that Sunday he baptized, I believe it was 465 in a river in a lake that doesn't seem very important but if he hadn't read it in the word of God where Jesus pushed us he baptized every one of you Peter the loudmouth got the keys to the kingdom and began to preach how important and vital it was and so in 1920 Brother Haywood stayed in his office for almost a week his wife would bring him food to eat and leave it at the door when she came back later, he would be sitting right where she had left him. It's said that he walked to the pulpit the next Sunday morning. And when he got up there without any music, without anything else, he began to lift up his voice. No piano accompaniment. And he began to sing for the first time on Calvary's Hill of Sorrow, where sin's demands were paid and rays of hope for tomorrow across our paths were laid. I see a crimson stream of blood and it flows from Calvary. Its waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. I don't know about you, church, but I'm so thankful for the blood. I'm so thankful that he chose. He had to do what he had to do. I don't like that he had to give his life. But I'm so thankful every miracle that he had spoke for three and a half years. They would begin to say, thank you, Jesus. And even when he would heal lepers, one come back and he would say, don't tell anybody. This isn't my purpose. I'm doing this and I'm, this is part of my path. But what really matters is the blood. What really mattered most of all was the blood. I'm thankful for his blood. As they begin to sing, I wonder what it would be like if we just begin to truly give thanks to God. Raise your hands, find a way to get away with Him if you want to come to the altar. But I wonder what it would be like if we just focus on how awesome He was for giving His blood. Oh, Jesus, I worship you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your blood. That's it. Let's sing this together.
you lift your voice and sing it tonight? Lift your hands all over the building and lift your voice and say, take just a moment and lift our hands and thank God for his love for us. Come on. Come on, somebody lift your voice right now and thank God. Oh, come on, for what he has done for us, it deserves more praise than that. Why don't you lift your voice right now? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Would you put your hands together and thank Pastor Brandon for preaching such a timely message to us tonight. That's what's wrong with the world nowadays. We don't like to talk about the blood. We don't, it's too gory. It's too, it's too this. It's too that. But do you understand that if it wasn't for the shed blood of Jesus?